Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to yet again another fantastic indie creator interview. It is your Capes Crusader, Cody, and we are keeping it geekly with our brand new friend, Henry Wheelock. We're here to break down Jovians and everything in between his venture into creating indie comics, and we're going to take a look at chapter one. Henry, welcome to the show. How are you doing this morning? Thank you. I'm doing very well. Yeah, that is awesome to hear. So we were talking a little bit before the show. You said you had about two years experience creating indie comics. What, what would you say your first kind of like step into that direction was? And how was that creative process for you? Well, I really got into co comics in college. Uh, I read a uh, French comic called Last Man with an exclamation point on the end. Mm -hmm. I found it from a show on Verve and I found out there was a comic based on it and uh, or rather other way around. Um, but, you know, I was used to seeing a lot of comics with like incredibly high detail, you know, incredibly high fidelity. And I thought, oh man, I'm really far away from being able to do that. But I saw this and, you know, the art is still fantastic, but their lines are far more simple and it focuses so much more on gesture. And the way they shaded was very similar to how I shaded at that time as well. So I saw that and I said, oh, I can actually do this. <laughs> and so uh, I, I took my first foray and uh, so people could probably find it if they want. Uh, I'd probably rather they didn't, but I did Jovians <laughs> originally uh, as a senior project for college. And, um, you know, at the time, there's still things I like about it. At the time, it was definitely the best I could do. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely the new version's a bit better. So what was that story about? If you can give us like kind of a simple breakdown of it. And I mean, did you have a lot of art experience before creating that? I, creating comics, you know, and the art for comics is a lot different than just creating art in general. So I'm, I'm curious on your experience with that as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, uh, so initially um what was the question so uh what was uh the story uh about the, the original oh, right, concept right. so it went through a lot of changes um initially it was going to be about you know humans and locusts taking up resources mm -hmm. you know and then it was about you know another thing uh but what it initially ended up being is kind of about the chain of violence and you know, initially, the first story uh, for, you know, it was supposed to be chapter one. Uh, I wanted to cover a lot. So the pacing's really bad. It's just a lot of things happen like really quick. Mm -hmm. um, but it was kind of about that. It was about uh, things getting into motion in the story. Um, uh, and now I'm kind of readapting that to the new one, but pacing it far better, adding far more context and things like that. I gotcha. Uh, and the process, um, it starts with writing. Uh, it, and that's one way that's different from some things like painting or something like that is I kind of write it like a play. So I figure mm -hmm. out kind of like where the players are, what they're saying, kind of, you know, what their emotions are, what they're doing. And then I do a storyboard based off that and then refine sketch, lines, color in that kind of order. So did you have a lot of experience creating panels or any sort of sequential art like in that nature like what did you do to kind of adapt your your art to that well i had some like minor experience making some comics beforehand but nothing serious you know small school projects little personal things um 
I looked at a lot of reference, and, you know, you might be able to see. Uh, you know, Last Man was huge. Uh, I read a lot of uh, uh, books by comics creators. Scott McCloud's Making Comics was huge. Um, and just looking at like how creators use panels to tell a story, mm-hmm. you know, what parts out of this like film are you cutting to show the most important like gestures and things at the moment to tell like what you want to say. And I think when I make the panels, I try to make it kind of clear the emotion or like kind of what's happening before I even add the words to it. So it's just like more clear and consistent because some of the best panels and some of my favorite panels are the ones where there's no words and you can just Mm -hmm. kind of feel the story. Yeah, I feel like uh, in comics, if the art can really talk to you without using words, like that's when you know it's really like it's really good. It's really hitting the mark. Definitely. So let's start breaking into Jovians. You know, what is it? What's the story behind? I know you said this was like an adaptation from something that you created previously, but like in its own like essence, like what is the story about to someone just stepping into it for the first time? So elevator pitch. (laughs) <laughs> After a massive conflict which consumed the entire solar system, the remains of humanity cling to life on the moons of Jupiter under an oppressive feudal regime. Uh, and the question is, can humanity now cast off the chains of violence which have bound it for so long? Now, all the events that take place will answer this question and decide the future of our species. You know, it's it's really unique to hear that elevator pitch because when I was reading, I, I kept seeing the imagery of chains and uh, hearing it like you know pitched in that sense kind of really like really tied it together for me. So, oh, well, what's known. a what's the representation behind the chains? Like uh, the chains of violence as a whole, that seems like kind of, kind of like a like a strong symbolism for you. Yeah. So. One of the things that I love to do when I work is I listen to a lot of history uh, mm-hmm. podcasts and videos. Uh, you know, anything from World War II, which of course there's a lot of history there, to even like back to Babylon, Persia, um, Sumeria. And you kind of, when you learn a lot of history, see consistent kind of um, historical trends. Yeah. Kind of the same kind of like pathos that leads to conflict. And you know, when trying to think of like how to solve like all the conflicts today, you think like, you know, oh my God, like there's so much uh, just painful history mm-hmm. and animosity and, you know, people are born into their own respective cultures. And because of that, they're like, they had they take on their cultures, um, histories as well. And so you know, two children that might have otherwise been friends if they're born in two specific separate cultures might actually be enemies and try to kill each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's such a tragedy. And it's that kind of like chain of events that, you know, if you want to get philosophical about it, can kind of call into question the whole idea of free will because, you know, your entire life is influenced by the actions of people who are long dead. Yeah. Are, are you really free if you can't be friends with whoever you want to be friends with or interact with who you want to be friends with? Like if that person initially is someone you might be expected to kill or expected to fight, you know, it, it's uh, it's a it's a real problem. But uh, 
you know, it's that kind of like, you know, I don't know if free will really does exist if it's your decisions are influenced by the state of the environment around you, which was mm -hmm. caused by other things, you know? I think, you know, the whole idea of like, oh, if I could go back in time and change this, I would, but it's like, well, if you could go back and do it again, you'd probably do the same thing because the circumstances would be the same. Or, I mean, what if, like, you went back in time and did that and it just made it worse? Like, it, it just did what you're trying to solve, just amplified it. Yeah, that too. I mean, yeah, that, that, this is such a deep concept. I do, I, I love when talks like this get this deep. I mean, so how much of this do we see bleed into Jovians? Like, uh, like it's storyline. Do we see a lot of this start to take impact with it? And, uh, I mean, what type of, what type of story can we expect from it? What type of antagonist, if there's any, you know, uh, and give us a little bit of a breakdown of uh, Nate as well, since, uh, that's our uh, main hero of the hour. Yeah. So we're definitely going to see a lot of this, um, throughout the story uh, and important moments i'm going to use those kind of like uh like when the in chapter one when the guy has the spear out mm -hmm. and you see the chain behind him um as that kind of like a thematic image to show like the chains being added to um when people do certain actions uh you know hurt other people cause pain the chains are lengthened uh, yeah that that seemed like it was a pretty uh important image for you too uh it was pretty pretty brutal i mean the person was covered in blood uh so like what was uh what was that moment for you uh when when, when you uh designed that that i really wanted i'm glad that that came across because that's the exact kind of uh vibe i wanted that to have uh you know nate and the rest of his friends who i called the gang um they have been through a huge amount of pain and we can get more into it we go into the world building mm -hmm. um but suffice to say, uh, they have suffered uh, greatly at the hands of this chain of violence. Um, and so this is a flashback to that. And it's kind of uh, the big wound that a lot of them have in their character. And so Nate is a person who has a lot of anger based on that. He has a lot of animosity and it just kind of festers in him. And he wants to take out, out that anger on those that he feels mm -hmm. are responsible um, and he's he's the group leader and so even though he wants to do this the way the things are in Ganymede uh, there's not really much he can do for the most um, <laughs> so he's the group leader of the gang he comes up with a lot of ideas but he because he wants to rush to kind of get what he's owed he's very impulsive and he tends to shirk blame you know dodge accountability Mm -hmm. and he's got a lot of room to grow so before we dive into the world building let's talk about the design i mean i i, I kind of i sense there's some like maybe old school dragon ball z influences uh i i see the akira in the background so i was gonna uh, uh mention oh, that yeah. as well um so i let, let's uh for design you know of these characters and the and the environment and everything what was some of your inspiration so you know I really like, uh, you know, Last Man and, and a lot of these other things for the character designs. And of course, a good character design is something that's recognizable from its silhouette alone. So I've tried to do that with all my characters, um, you know, but I feel like my style is not too, you know, stylized. I try to keep it kind of, you know, human proportion thing like mm -hmm. that, things like that, uh, but still keep them rest recognizable. Um, uh, 
what Katsuhiro Otomo does is uh, with his buildings is just ridiculous. The way he draws just every single window with a different shade in a different way, different、mm-hmm. things.、Uh, my my good friend、uh, said it best: artists love pain, and this guy definitely loves pain. The amount of just sacrifice and work that he put into that、mm-hmm. is、uh, definitely admirable. And、uh, I try to.、Um, You know, not give myself pain, mind you, but、uh, just kind of really put the detail in to make the world feel lived in and like、mm-hmm. it has a history behind it. And so, when doing the buildings and environment in Ganymede, you know, it's it's like a farming world, so you have the fields. But then when we get into the city, it's a lot of old concrete. It's cracked. It's dirty.、Mm-hmm. I have a certain layer I put on a lot of、um, every、uh, building called grime. Uh, so a lot of the buildings have grime all over、mm-hmm. them, and old, you know, leaflets and things, and、uh, a lot of scars of、uh, a certain event,、uh, which we can talk about、uh, when we get into the world building. So we、uh, we start off. There's like a distinct、uh, separation. You know, it's almost like you have your your poor individuals, and then you have your elites.、Uh, do you care to kind of dive into that as well? Oh yeah, so、uh, the J- Jovian society is, of course, a feudal society.、Um, the Europans of the Moon Europa, or Jupiter,、uh, controlling all the acquisition and distribution of water, and by doing this, they have a stranglehold across everyone in the Jovian system.、Uh, the Ganymedians grow all the food, pretty much. Uh, they're essentially like future serfs,、um, and、uh, there have been a number of revolts in the past, and so the Europeans now maintain a very heavy,、um, essentially police, <laughs> military police presence,、uh, and of course, with power comes abuse of power,、mm-hmm. as we see in Chapter One,、um, and so. Yeah, and this is something that really irks our main character because not only did the Europeans, you know, take everything from him previously, now they're still taking. You know, they're still、mm-hmm. there and oppressing, and so it's just a constant point of pain. And、uh, well, it might be about time for change. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, you see a lot of、uh, the people who are on the other side of、uh, the 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 stick. They're they're not faring too well. They Are like paying extravagant amounts to even just taste beef or chicken.、Uh, I thought that was a really nice little、uh, intro to it, to just to show you just how like how like decimated the entire world is. Like, so what can we expect from this world as a whole? Like, you know, like what's going on with like the inner workings that's leave le- like leading these people to kind of start this revolt. So the、uh, Europeans, you know, as You know, nobility tends to do the overstep. They you know, really grind the food into the, the, their、uh, the peasants, and the Ganymedians people are originally from the Americas on Earth,、mm-hmm. and so they have this kind of like you know instilled in them this culture of freedom and you know self reliance and.、Um, You know, dignity, and 
you know, dignity, indignity after indignity, it, it wears on them. And so eventually there is this large-scale third revolt where, uh, organized a large part by the gang's parents, um, the Ganymedians seized the ports, stopping all food export to the rest of the Jovians. Mm -hmm. So now they had a stranglehold. No one's going to eat. And so the Europeans, realizing the gravity of this and fearing that the Ganymedians could have some kind of power, decided to go in and just wipe the slate clean. So they went in and they killed every, pretty much every adult except for the loyalists and left the Trojan alive. Not out of mercy, but so they could have a new workforce. Yeah, that is, that that's dark and... Uh, to, to even like reinforce that, I mean, it's it's a, a relevant saying even in today's standards that we're all just like, what is it, like three meals away from total anarchy? Yeah, and you know, it's dark, but you know, things like this have happened yeah, before yeah. in history and worse. Um, it's really kind of wild what people are capable of, especially when mm -hmm. they fear losing power. So what drove you to want to create something like this? Like what inspired you? I know you said you used to listen to a lot of things like that, but like, was there anything else uh, behind the scenes that kind of motivated you to like take this direction? Well, you know, I always been a storyteller and I've always wanted to tell stories. And I think the best stories have something that they really want to say, you know, as opposed to just like having characters run around and get into shenanigans, which, you know, is fun and all, but it's not something that really sticks with me for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wanted to kind of do that. And also the stories that and the worlds that I love so much and I love to immerse myself in, I wanted to kind of give that to other people. I want to give that kind of joy. And so uh, that's what I set out to do. And of course, I wanted to kind of talk about this whole you know, cycle of violence and mm -hmm. is there a solution to it? You know, what is our future as we move out into space and beyond? Uh, and is there a future? You know, are we going to keep repeating the same thing again and again? Uh, you know, that's that's the question. And I'm still not sure how Jolene's is going to end, if it's going to be a happy or a depressing ending. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I'll know for sure how it's going to end, but it's how I finish Arc three or something how many uh how many chapters do you have uh, in the pipeline so far well i have two out i'm happy with the storyboard for three um but there's going to be probably i don't know like over a hundred maybe several hundred um Let's i go. have one two three four five six seven arcs um and i'm in the middle of writing arc three you know, that's the kind of unfortunate thing that I'm sure a lot of uh, comic artists currently too, is that writing goes so fast, mm -hmm. but the art is so much slower and so agonizing because you're like, oh, I want to get to this part of the story, but I mm -hmm. got to draw it. It takes so long. So are you, uh, what are you doing along the way? Are you taking any extra classes or any additional like things you're doing to kind of maybe better your craft, better your writing, better your art? I'm doing a lot of like um, studies of human anatomy, uh, you know, just like free reference sites and things like that. Um, I'm, you know, saving a lot of references. I think one of my biggest problems is like, I really want to make sure that the panel layout is not repetitive. So I always save a lot of like 
interesting panel layouts uh, to see how people do it. Uh, pretty much just studying uh, the masters and, and seeing mm -hmm. how they do it and taking what I can from that. Um, and I think uh, just uh, like YouTube video essays about like yeah. good and bad stories. Um, like stories of old is one of my favorites. Uh, <laughs> a lot of good things like that. You know, I think we kind of like spiced it up a little bit, started selling it a, li a little bit. Let's dive into chapter one. Let's take a deeper look at chapter yeah. one. Uh, and anyone that's interested, you could actually read chapter one yourself for free on Global Comics. Is chapter two for free as well? or? Yes, chapter one, two, and three are going to be free. And then after that is paid. Cool, cool, cool. So let's go ahead. Right. So right here is chapter one of Jovians, chapter one. Um, what? So what was your inspiration between, uh, but for for the title and as well as the cover art? So I really wanted to be kind of like the start of the journey, and mm -hmm. so we're looking up at Nate as he kind of looks up at Jupiter in the sky, which is a you know already sets us in this kind of far off place, you know, to see Jupiter in the sky like we'd see moon the moon on earth mm -hmm. um so that was to kind of set us in the place see the the main character and get us going it's called ganymede because we're kind of just starting you know first step of the hero's journey uh, in the nor you know quote unquote normal is that uh, is that what life. uh ganymede means uh ganymede is the name of the moon that they're on okay all right yeah 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 there so, are uh, Four main moons of Jupiter, Io, Callisto, Ganymede, and Europa. And they're all part of this Jovian, Jovian Empire. I like that. Uh, are you a fan of uh, the Callisto project? Yeah. Yeah. It's in dropping December 2nd. Let's go. So we begin, and right off the rip, things look pretty pretty graphic. You know, we, we start with the chains of violence beginning right in the, the primal age, right? Yeah, and so this first panel is, you might be able to tell, very inspired by 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, definitely one of my favorite uh, movies of all time. Um, yeah, and there you see the chain starting. So, you know, these, these are conflicts that have been going on for pretty much all time. Mm -hmm. And then medieval times as well. So we see uh, two knights getting ready to go at each other. Yeah, so going forward, we have this, which, you know, not any specific time, maybe like the Norman Conquest or something mm -hmm. like that. Was it hard for you to uh, transition from drawing like primates to, uh, to chain mail and stuff? Yeah, so in the original comic, you can go see, I really didn't know how to draw chain mail or nothing, but saw a couple good examples and uh, tried different things and uh, figured it out. Um, Anything, you know, adding the little light flares is huge and making mm -hmm. it look like metal. Um, yeah. But actually, funny enough, you know, I had to look at reference for like armor and shields and things like that. But the first time I drew the ape, I nailed it right out of the bat. I don't know what it is. just something genetically. <laughs> just know how to draw a monkey. <laughs> so we see that chain starting to get bigger and bigger. And we scroll down and the conflicts get larger and more grandiose right here where... In what I would assume would be like World War II almost? Uh, World War One. World War One. And uh, for that one, I really had to look at reference for like the rifle and things like that. I really like how you did the explosion as well. You have like the person right here like getting uh, incinerated almost. No, thank you. 
yeah, World War One is one of those conflicts that's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of like courage it would take to be running into it too, like. Uh, it's it seems like the the farther we go back like the more like insane like the revolutionary war where you had to just be eye to eye with each other and you would wait for each other to, to load that would be i wouldn't be able to do it my anxiety would shoot through the roof or even like the greeks like face to face with the guy just like stabbing at each other you know mm-hmm. looks like we're having a little bit of a buffer problem hold on one second let me go ahead and try to refresh that well you know oh, one there of the we things go. that we're I really good. like okay about global comics is that um you know i looked at things like webtoon and tapas and things and you know not only do they have a lot of like content restrictions you know for like what you can show there's mm-hmm. also like a lot of resolution restrictions whereas global comics there's no such thing like obviously you can't show like really messed up stuff but like yeah yeah you can you can tell your story and you can upload it in as HD as you like. So, how do you feel about global comics as, as a whole? To anyone that's like on the fence about like uploading content on there, what would you say to them? I'd say like definitely go for it. I kind of feel like global comics is the future of comics, at least in America. Okay. Um, is it released online at the very least? Um, yeah, yeah. It is such a good site. They have so many good artists and the people running the site are extremely involved in the community. You know, they're very easy to reach and they're constantly asking about ways to improve the site. And Mm -hmm. uh, they have a mobile app launching soon, which I think is going to like be fantastic. No, that is awesome. Um, That is awesome. And you might notice uh, the comic Jovians has been uh, optimized for mobile. So on uh, laptops, it gets a little, you know, zoomed in. Mm -hmm. You have to scroll a lot, but you know, it's still good. You can zoom in, you can see all that good detail. Yeah, uh, once I like, I, I finagled it a little bit, and it, it's, it, I was able to get like the, I didn't have to zoom out. Um, it pretty much did it for me. Um, it just like the second I start to like close it in a little bit, then it gets to that point. But um, as long as you have it like stretched out, you're good. Yeah. So we see this chain start to get bigger and bigger. What is this supposed to be a representation of? I, I notice it says free Mars right here, but is there any certain like conflict or anything in the world that this was based off of yeah so there's about i wrote about two thousand years of history for jovians stretching from today uh into like uh what is it like 4175 or whatever that takes place um so this is during the martian civil war which is the first of these two giant conflicts Mm -hmm. and this was between the martian free states and like the martian coalition and uh, you see this huge conflict going on, and this is something that started on Mars, and then as nations and interests from Earth got involved, it spread over to the Earth as well. And at the end of this conflict, uh, the Americas were nuked, sending all those refugees to Ganymede. And then we uh, slowly but surely see these chains start to just gather and gather, and now we're up into space. And this is this was just gorgeous. How hard was it? For you to draw something like this detailed it definitely takes a while um and you know i went back and made a few changes uh made it darker made a bit you know feeling i was in space you know, the first step of course is you have to design the ships right mm-hmm. and so i designed the ships separately and then i uh would put them in and you know 
you have to like make sure you balance you know compositionally make sure it all makes sense and, yeah uh, yeah think about how space combat would be so you see a lot of those kind of like dots kind of coming out in these kind of like four mm -hmm. star from those other ships that's them firing their uh point defense cannons and because they're going forward the bullets just kind of go in that shape it's like this wall of lead yeah 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 so I, I'm really liking how you like use like it looked like different techniques for for shading right here to kind of amplify the feeling that you're in space. What was the what what's this filter technique called? Where it was like the 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 dots. Uh, it's just like a screen tone uh, filter that I've got. Um, and then those circles is like in space. You know, everything is there's no gravity, so explosions are completely mm -hmm. circular. Um, isn't it isn't it crazy the idea like in space where if you just move forward like even if, if you just push yourself forward you just keep going and you don't stop. you just don't stop yeah yeah that's the thing like uh a lot of like space movies kind of get wrong for the sake of narrative is that like you can't just turn left in space immediately like you have to first cancel cancel out your momentum from where you're going and then take a new direction mm -hmm. and the speeds can get just ridiculous um and so yeah in the center there you see a uh, ship being destroyed by like a, a laser type weapon mm -hmm. and just kind of melting apart yeah i love that and so this takes place during the next major conflict the great soul war mm -hmm. soul being the name for our sun of course and our solar system and that was the major one right that was the one that kind of like was the climatic catalyst yeah that was the one that just spread everywhere and just destroyed everything and then we see these chains almost filling up the page at this point. And now we're seeing some really grotesque like brutality happen right here. So who are these individuals? So these, now if you asked the Earth military, they would say those aren't people. They're tools. Um, these are things called ALGs. Ares Line Gen Soldiers. They are a... Uh, the creation of the Venusian gene smiths. They are super soldiers that uh, are designed to be, you know, the perfect soldiers. They have far stronger bones, redundant organs, uh, extra and stronger muscles that can not only pull but also push. Um, and of course, you see all this kind of like ferrofluid around their armor, those kind of like triangles. It looks like they're able to actually. Uh make spikes protrude from their their armor too yeah so uh in the legends they're called the warriors with liquid skin um because of this kind of thing and the armor is one of the most dangerous things about them because what it does is not only can they manipulate it into any kind of like sharp uh, implement they may need uh it also takes kinetic energy transfers it to thermal and so you can shoot all you want and then it'll just like go away and won't do anything because you know you can't destroy mm -hmm. energy but you can convert it so it takes oh, kinetic awesome, and turns man. into thermal so bullets I completely useless i love how he's ripping off this dude's arm too oh yeah they're extremely strong and these are um algs two algs three get really scary actually no these are algs one my bad and so this is taking place um on mars and the jungles I like, of mars i also like the guns too how detailed they are like this one uh, you can see it's a lot more advanced. There's actually like a sonar like radar like built into the gun right there before the optical sight. Thank you. Yeah, that there's a lot of design because you know I have to design like 
oh, what would future armor look like? What would future soldiers look like? So what did what did you do to do that? Like, uh, what was your, your creative process for that? A lot of iteration. <laughs> a lot of iteration and also just, um, you know, looking at some reference for soldiers and thinking about what the kind of things they would need. Mm -hmm. uh, but the helmets of these soldiers actually used uh, brought forward because uh, the Europans are actually the descendants of the Martians. And so the European guard, like the ones that accost Nate and his friends, their helmets look a lot similar to the helmets of these soldiers here. And how many years has passed from this point to, to, to when we meet Nate? Well, the Soul War was a war that lasted a thousand years. Um, and after it ended, 800 years passed uh, to where we are right now in the story. And in all that time, no one's heard anything anything from Earth. So as far as the Jovians are concerned, they're the last people left anywhere. I gotcha. So we get back into space. And what are we seeing right here? Are these like uh, the hammers of God? Well, you, funny you should say that. They're called Babel Three War Towers. Oh, let's go. <laughs> um... And so they have these, uh, they're essentially like space space aircraft carriers, except the mm -hmm. aircraft they carry are smaller warships. They're two mile long gargantuan behemoths. Wow. Um, and through the center, as you can see, they're shooting down. They have these giant uh, rail guns in them called Gibberim uh, cannons. And so here we see them uh, bombarding Mars from orbit and the damage it's doing on the surface below. Oh yeah, these things are come. massive. Yeah, so those are already two miles long, and then you see this giant thing. And so this is the end of the war. Oh, right here? Th yeah, so this is a super weapon that the Earth made called the CME Muir. Uh, a CME is a real phenomenon. It's a coronal mass ejection, and it's the thing that causes solar storms. Um, I, I, I like how deep you got with your uh, with your investigating, like uh, behind the, like the, the the science behind everything. Like this is this is really impressive. Thank you. I wanted to you know have a sci-fi, but I wanted all everything to be like believable that we could actually do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fantastical enough to be like, wow, that's really you know something. You know, it's really like sci-fi and futury, but not so science fantasy that it's like, okay, that's just silly. And then we see the devastation, you know, everything's completely wiped from that. So in real life, what would happen if we got hit with a, a weapon like that? Like, would this be the cause of it or would it be a lot worse? So we actually did get hit with a pretty big CME in the 1800s um, called the Carrington event. And at that time, the only electronic devices were like telegraphs but they actually caught fire. So I um, heard about this. If it was to happen uh, in today's, like we would die and probably, what well, we, we like the world would go in chaos in an hour. And then I, most people would start dying within like 10 days. I think it was something like that. Cause it, it would not it would all be electronics. Be all right. You know, there are things in place to account for solar storms. Like they can turn off the grid in anticipation of it, but you know, it's something that strength. You even have to worry about your own, like, personal electronics. Mm -hmm. um, but what this thing does, the CME mirror, it's even worse. 
because what it does in, in its center makes a small star and then rips it apart and throws it out the front. So not only are you getting that electromagnetic distortion, but when they hit uh, the planet with that, it also like, it's like a sunburn times a million. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is insane. And then we get a little bit of the exposition of- Yeah, uh, so there's just nothing left. You know, everything's completely messed up. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of the war, the surviving Martian nobility escaped to the jo uh, Jovian moons and uh, took it over by controlling the water. And then we get our first break into the the story. And this is right, like, so I thought that was a pretty powerful introduction, like really not a whole lot of words until that small part of exposition. Uh, what was your uh, reasoning for just using imagery to kind of build up the uh, build build up uh, the beginning of it? I think sometimes that's the most powerful way to tell the story because, you know, I you don't need, I don't even need to really add sound effects to any of that because you can kind of just imagine and see like you know what would be happening and mm -hmm. kind of like sounds that'd be going on and uh, you know interpret what's happening. You know, it also by not telling you exactly what's going on, it opens the door for speculation. And that is uh, sometimes one of the most fun things about the story, speculating yeah. about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like this shot too. This kind of gave me like uh, the new Blade Runner feeling uh, where you see uh, the dudes coming to get him and he's like in his field, like uh, tending to his crops. Uh, I, I loved how you kind of like, gave this a little bit more of a like homier feeling you know what i mean like the introduction to to the world yeah so these are uh, rain blimps and so in order to get their crops watered uh the europeans send these blimps over to deli deliver rain uh because they use weather control to make sure no one else can get water without their say so <laughs> and uh it's funny you say that because uh like there's actually uh the heart machine that's like a real thing uh where it can control parts of the weather and there's actually something in the genova convention where everyone uh signed uh with promises not to use weaponized like weather for warfare so it's it's interesting because it seems like this could very well be something that happens oh definitely i mean and it'd be so unheard of for a government to not you know be consistent with something that they signed mm-hmm <laughs> so we uh, come to a new Rio. What was your, uh, the inspiration for using uh, the new Rio as uh, a place? You know, something that's on the the, the moon uh, around Jupiter. You know, wh why stick to something that was a little bit more, I guess, recognizable? Well, I wanted the beginning to be something more kind of recognizable. I didn't want to throw people completely into the weirdness of the future right off the bat. And mm -hmm. I thought. Um, you know, Rio is a very central city in South America, and the Ganymedians being from the Americans, you know, they would name their cities based on cities on those continents. Okay, yeah, I like that concept a lot. I like that a lot. So we get a look at the first city, and it looks like it's kind of like in a little bit of a crater, surrounded by farm uh, patches. And uh, we get a first look at everything, and it is very like slummy kind of looking. You know, you, you have uh, the grime that you were talking about, um, and, uh, we get a look at all the buildings and everything that's happening. What was some of the, uh, the, you know, the, 
the world building and design that went into this you know i really liked how you had the subway station and kind of just like the the slummier looking areas yeah i just kind of wanted to um give people like a sense of like where they were and you know, a lot of uh uh anime do this a lot of manga um you know no words just kind of like showing the area mm-hmm. showing little snippets of like the surrounding uh, nature and things like that of course not much nature on ganymede so i just kind of showed like the people yeah um, we got robotic cows it looks like or cows with robotic attachments yeah cybernetic cows and so <laughs> and then above them you see like the ever-present uh europans with their rifles mm-hmm. uh and so you know that's something that like akira kurosawa really likes to do is just kind of take you away from like the uh not well not take away but like add to the story by like giving it the context of like things going on around it just taking a moment to breathe kind of and then we see right here this is is this some of the synthetic food or is this the food that's being guarded yeah so the real cows are for the rich they're for the uh off-worlders and also mm-hmm. um the ganymedians who are loyal to the europans are now kind of a new aristocracy the steak being grown in vats is for everyone else I if they you. can even afford it at that rate uh and so for that they don't grow like a whole cow they just grow like the part of the cow they want to eat so like they isolate the gene of the leg and just grow the leg okay yeah no that makes sense that makes sense so we start with our first real taste of dialogue uh i told you this was a good idea and then this is like our first two break into chapter one and we get a look at our protagonist nate so give us a little bit of a breakdown of who nate is so you know obviously he's very self-confident um you know he comes up with these plans and uh you know uh he's like "Eh, it'll be fine don't worry about it i know what i'm doing um you can see his friend silvio there uh is you know, more someone who like, you know, thinks, um, and he's trying to caution him about like, you know, how dangerous it is to steal water. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the gang, they work for a underlord crime boss called Vix and he's tasked them to do this job. So we scroll down and we see the job that they are starting to do. And, uh, we get a lot more of the exposition uh the explanation of the europeans well the the kind of the introduction to them and uh just more dialogue between these two before they begin uh cranking out the job i really love you know the different look to these characters um especially uh silvio's hair as well you did i think you did a really good job you know like differentiating the the hairstyles and you know the different like cultures of the characters thank you yeah that was definitely a real challenge. Um, but, you know, just through iteration and everything like that, I found a really good uh, style to do it that didn't take, like, a ridiculous amount of time. You know, because that's another thing with designing characters for a comic. You can't have them be, like, a amazing work of art because you have mm-hmm. to draw them several hundred times. In different poses too, right? Exactly. So we see them getting ready to go up to the waterline and we get a little bit of a flashback here. Last time we took a risk like this is why you're stuck doing that survey job. So th- this isn't the first time they try to do something of this nature and it looks like Nate kind of dropped the ball. But 
then we start moving into the actual uh it's uh do we call it a heist at this point yeah, I'd call it a water heist. Water heist. So we, we get introduced to uh, the captain as, as well. So right here, I, I love this too. He's like, you have Mike, stop shouting. <laughs> yeah. So they call Nate captain as kind of a joke because mm -hmm. um, he, uh, for being caught from their last job, uh, he's been sentenced to do a survey uh, job where you have to just review footage from survey drones that go out into space and try to like survey all the salvage and see if there's mm -hmm. something useful and so they joke and they call him captain and we get a little bit of a taste here too to kind of see the two different parties you know uh, with this kind of money we could even get real meat like the ICZ and the ICs are essentially uh, like the rich right the ICs are the Europans because Europa Europans. is covered in a sheet of ice okay uh, so what, what what does that ice do? Uh, well, that ice, it just kind of like covers what we think is an ocean below Europa. Um, provides a nice shell. And so, yeah, that's what, that's what it does. I gotcha, I gotcha. So then I, this funny interaction too, where they're talking about all the real stuff they can try to eat. And then... Uh, we see uh she's you know she's like i'd like something sweet and uh i just love how they're talking about like eating meat for the first time and the different types of meat and the different type of foods they can try so i thought that was a really interesting approach that you took on that one as well yeah you know you know the things that we think of as normal would be kind of luxury for these people and then uh right here we see a little bit of a Silvio like getting into the deeper roots of everything uh, and then saying he would like to try uh, venison as well um, This you know venison is like the way they make that meat is like some of the most like horrific types of like You know, they they put the cow I think in like complete darkness and feed it nothing but milk um, It's it's like horrifying Yeah um, Yeah, that whole industry is pretty bad. Oh wait, no, that's uh, veal. So that, that, Silvio, I was thinking of veal. He's a guy that kind of like very much like a thinker uh he kind of overthinks um but he's definitely the brains of the group mm -hmm. we got a uh, nordic uni over on twitch stopping and say what's up cody welcome uni how are you doing we're here with our good friend henry breaking down jovians and uh oh he's over on youtube as well uh so i i love how too uh with these uh speech bubbles you put like a little uh you know a head to symbolize who's talking at that point I thought that's a nice yeah, little way to kind of... Yeah, for the radio kinda... thing, I thought the radio parts, I thought that'd be kind of helpful because they're not in yeah. frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of so course, Gabe, he's a guy who... Uh, his strength is not in his brain, but in his brawn. And uh, he's very much concerned with his image, like, as a man. And so, you know, <laughs> Sylvia's saying, well, you don't really read, do you, Nate? Do you, Gabe? So he takes that as offense, and he's like, well... Men don't need to read, they need to fight! Yeah! <laughs> we get a look at a little bit of uh, this pipeline. So are they draw? They're, they're driving this truck with like a huge line of trailers behind it? Yeah, so it's got this kind of like modular trailer kind of thing going on. Um, and then once they fill them up, they can send individual trailers mm, away to drive them like around that. to the thing. Um, yeah. And we scroll down and we find out that there's a little bit of a problem. There's a guardsman uh, that just popped up. And uh, I thought this interaction was, you know, really, really interesting as well. They have no idea, you know, uh, what they're going to do. And uh, 
it, 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 to me, I, w I was wondering what was going to go on. I thought this this guy was going to be a stickler. Like, I thought he was going to be one of those cops that, like, sticks straight to the point. But we find out that that's not exactly the case. Yeah, he's a bit of a dirty cop. So, do we see that a lot with the cops uh, on this planet? Or, are for the most part, are they, like, to the books? Um... No, you kind of see that a lot. Um, the guardsmen that are put on Ganymede, they're kind of put there as a bit of like a, well, you know, we're not going to give you anything else, so go to Ganymede. So they're already kind of like upset about that, and mm -hmm. they really love abusing their power there. Um, a lot of times, if there's some any kind of dissidence or any kind of, uh, you know, disagreement with the powers that be the guardsmen will uh in a kangaroo court style convict that dissident of uh terrorism and execute them and so they're very much like a military junta up you know occupying force kind of deal i got you and right here they're coming up with their stories of why they're there she comes up with the outlandish one that she was trying to pass and then fell asleep at the wheel and uh, we see Gabe, like, how dare you lie to an officer of the law? I love that. Uh, so they're trying to weasel their way out of it. And uh, the cop calls her bluff. I, I, I really like that as well. And he's like, you know, you must be some stupid, field-minded, grainy resistance group. Uh, trying to sabotage the wider water pipe. He doesn't realize that they're just trying to steal the water from it, which I thought was really interesting as well. Right. So we scroll down and... We get an interesting, interesting thing that happens. He thinks there it's actually full of explosions, uh, and uh, you know things are about to get serious. Gabe almost gets shot right here. He pulls the guns out. He's getting ready to put put one in his head and uh, shoots the tank to call his bluff. So I thought that was another interesting thing too. You know, shooting a tank full of explosive. Like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he doesn't care about them or their lives at all. So he's he's gonna say, all right, that's explosive. I'll take care of it right now. And then right here, you know, as if I take your word, I want you to drink it. So what was that? You know, why didn't he drink it at this point? Well, so we can see that as it's revealed, the guy doesn't actually really care too much whether they are resistance or not. He just wants to extort them. Mm -hmm. So he's making all these charges. He's saying, oh, well, you know, maybe we can work something else out. You know, you know, maybe I can let you go. And so he takes, you know, whatever little money that they have, sends them on their way. Yeah, and he's like, you know, this, glad we can work this out peacefully. Next time it's going to be double or you're going to get shot. So, uh, and then, of course, you this nice little touch to uh, fucking Ices. So uh, this is almost like it seems like a racist term uh, to, to say it like that, if uh, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, you know, in 41 and 54, I think the idea of what we think of today as race would be completely kind of gone, but you still have, you know, we'll find new and interesting ways and reasons to hate each other. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, definitely all the different Maybe moons of Jupiter, way. yeah, all the different moons of Jupiter have their, uh, you know, different animosities towards each other, mm -hmm. their different slurs for each other. So we see Gabe get a little bit compassionate here, asking her if she's got hit, but she of course didn't get shot. And then he he's like just dragging her, like, okay, well, like, get up, let's get let's get back to work. I thought yeah, that was Gabe, interesting. 
yeah, well, Gabe, you know, he's so machismo. He doesn't like weakness or anything like that or, you know, emotion or anything like that. So he's very closed off in that respect. And then we see them kind of having another interesting interaction about if they would have had guns, uh, things would have went differently. Uh, and then we see Nate inside of this tank. So what are they doing inside of this tank? Are they like kind of not supposed to be seen? Are they like smuggling themselves? Yeah. So the front tank there, the part of it uh, has been hollowed out to be like their compartment so that, you know, there's no suspicions. There's only one guy driving the truck. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're going in there. And we see them driving off into town and uh, nothing to say. No apology, Captain. Uh, and seeing a little bit of bickering back and forth between these two. Yeah, you know, as someone who like overthinks and wants to like account for every possibility against the guy who is impulsive and just like goes gung ho. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, that panel there uh, with the light is a, kind of a funny little visual pun. He's talking about having an idea. Okay, I love it. I love it because it's right above his head. Yeah. So we scroll down and we see that graphic image we were talking about earlier where, you know, there's uh, the chain right here. There's a weapon just covered in blood and you see the soldier just, his mask is just splattered with blood. Uh, and yeah. then looking through a field uh, and he's killing someone. So who did he end up killing in this point? So he has killed uh, the gang's parents right here. And this is the POV of Nate looking out at the guy, hiding behind the, uh, the the grasses and things in this field. Yeah, this was, and I love how there's like the light, like right off in the corner, kind of like you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I thought the visual uh, of this was just really awesome. Yeah, like he's dropped his flashlight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very gonna be a very important moment for Nate. Yeah, and right here, when they put down the third revolt, they took everything from us, and they're still taking more. And we kind of... He's like, they'll never have they'll never have enough, and he stands up and hits his head. I, I love that little moment right there. Yeah, so this is uh, kind of uh, emblematic of Nate as a character. He, he acts before he thinks. He mm -hmm. gets ahead of himself. Yeah, right here in Silo saying, too quick to act, Nate. Uh, so we get another like interesting look at them entering a new Rio. Uh, so they're just entering the city with a, a tank full of uh, smuggled water. Um, and this is where we're left off. Next chapter is Towers in the Sky. So yeah. that was chapter one in its entirety. Uh, I, I love doing that, man. That was such an interesting take to hear kind of your thoughts and ideas behind the different scenes and panelings. Uh, was that kind of like your first look ever taking a look at it in depthly with someone? Yeah. Um, uh, my good friend, Chris, uh, he's been, you know, someone who supported me from the moment I had this idea initially. And he's been there for like all the iterations, giving me a lot of feedback. And so, mm -hmm. you know, he's, I've gone through with him and he's given me like uh, little tips and things that he thought could be better. And I've, uh, taken those and adapted them to new chapters. So like with chapter one, one of my main criticism was uh, there's only really one setting. So I said, all right, yeah. So in chapter two, there's uh, three different settings, which kind of okay. show the characters, you know, interacting with different people, you know, seeing them interact in, in a different setting. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a bit more interesting. 
So um, for anyone uh, that's interested, you can check this out for free. The first uh, two chapters are free on Global Comics with uh, the intention for the third one. And then after that, there's going to be a paywall. So for anyone that's on the fence for maybe subscribing to that paywall, what would you like to say to them directly uh, to encourage them to uh, subscribe to uh, get the rest of the chapters for this? Well, it's not going to be uh, anything ridiculously expensive. You know, it's going to be a comic, so it's only going to be a couple dollars. Um, and, you know, I think I kind of recognize that, you know, you know, let's hope. But if it does get more popular, piracy is going to be unavoidable. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to charge a ridiculous amount for the uh, comics on Global Comics. I do have a Patreon, and that, I think, is going to be the main revenue stream for this. So what's your uh, Patreon look like? So that is the Jovian's Patreon, and there's three tiers, three main tiers. There is the supporter, behind the scenes, and insights. Um, for a supporter, you get your name at the end of each chapter with a thank you. Uh, for behind the scenes, each month you get, you know, three or three to five uh, sketches, storyboards, things like that, processes showing how I kind of made the thing itself. And then Insights is my favorite tier. Uh, it's $10. And uh, each month you get a painting uh, about some aspect of the world accompanied with a long cool. write-up about that aspect. That's really cool. Yeah, so it's a great way to kind of get more in, you know, insight into mm-hmm. the worlds of Jovians. Uh, and I think there's like seven out right now. That, that is so cool. Well, I really appreciate you breaking all of that down for us. Henry, before we finish, I do want to I, I do want to end strong. And with this being an interview where, you know, we focus on your book and, and everything in between, it's also a nice little learning tool for anyone new that's watching. So with that in mind, for anyone, let's say they're a writer and an artist as well, like, a, you know, a writer-artist duo, uh, what would be your biggest advice for them to deal with, like, anything, like, along the lines of burning out? You know, it seems there's, there's a lot of, you know, on your plate where you have to design characters, not only write them, but design them and, and panel them as well. So for that burnout, like, what's something uh, you would suggest maybe to help work against it or help, like, work through it? Yeah, that's a problem that I've definitely faced a number of times. Um, you know, chapter one was 47 pages, uh, which was way too much. And so <laughs> I've made the subsequent chapters a bit shorter. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely going to the graphic novel territory. You know, um, I think you got to just make sure you're not doing too much, you know, per day, schedule it out and uh you know make sure that you know you can just do a little bit every day and it'll still Mm -hmm. get done and i think that's a lot better than trying to bang it all out at once and just exhaust yourself because you know if you don't enjoy doing it then it's not something you should do becomes a chore um you know i actually had a nightmare before (laughs) chapter one came out because it was taking so long and i had a nightmare i was hanging out with all my friends and all of a sudden they all turned and looked at me in unison and said Henry, why is chapter one taking so long? And I woke up in like a cold sweat. And you got it done. You're like, ah! <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, I gotta be consistent. Um, you know, for me, uh, I've had attention problems in the past, but I think, you know, listening to music that really helps you focus mm-hmm. and just head down, don't look at social media or anything like that. Just immerse yourself in the work and, um, just kind of like 
do that kind of healthy balance of uh, work and relax. No, absolutely. Hey, well, I appreciate that. I always love hearing like different takes and perspectives on that because everyone seems to be a little bit different and unique in their own way. Henry, I appreciate so much for you uh, rescheduling coming on earlier. Uh, we had a little bit of a scheduling mishap on my end for tomorrow, so I appreciate that. And uh, you giving me your 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 uh, take and opinions and everything in between on Jovians and just the creative process as a whole. Thank you once again, man. Oh yeah, for sure. No, thank you so much for having me. This was a great experience. You know. Um, you're a great interviewer. This is really yeah, fun. thank you, thank you. And I, you know, I'd love to come back on uh, maybe when Arc Two is coming out. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Break that down, dude. Absolutely. And this was your first interview. I thought, you know, you seem you seem experienced. You seem like a vet. So hopefully, the second <laughs> one you, you do is going to be even better for you. Uh, guys, it is a beautiful Wednesday. I have a whole lot of work to do. It's New Comic Book Day, so you know the drill. And we have one more interview at 7 p.m. EDT later on tonight. Be sure to turn on notifications for that video. Uh, to be notified when it drops so with that said i have a plate full of stuff to get to henry has probably a plate full of stuff to get to as well and uh we gotta enjoy the day so everyone watching i hope you have an awesome one but most importantly keep it geekly